0: for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening. And I hope today's message encourages
1: you and helps you. So guys, we're kicking into part three of a series that we've been in called Love Where You Live. And if you have missed last couple of weeks or haven't been tuned in, I'll catch you up. So no worries. I'm gonna walk you right back to where we are at. And we've been talking about this idea, this sentence that Jesus said, where he says, love your neighbor. And we love this because it's incredibly easy to love some of our neighbors. It's really easy to love the neighbors who look like us, who hang out with us, who go to the parties we go to, who have kids our same ages, who are annoying. We love to love those neighbors. But then there are other neighbors. And there are other neighbors whose dog never shuts up. And there are other neighbors who continue to leave their trash cans out. Even the HOA has specifically said the day you're supposed to bring it in. There are other neighbors who we didn't choose them. We chose our spot to live. They moved in next to us and they were different. And we are now in a relationship called neighbor. But when Jesus said, love your neighbor, the term is actually a proximity term. So he meant quite literally, love those you were nearby. And so it's so easy to go about our life, go about our religious traditions, even go about our full Google calendar, and we love neighbors all over the place, but then we forget that our actual neighbors are also our neighbors. And so what if Jesus actually has a goal and a a role we can play next to our neighbors? What if we should love where we live? So that's what we've been talking through. And we've looked at a specific interaction that Jesus had with a neighbor, with someone nearby that I think for us can get, help us get super practical on how do we know we're loving where we're living. And so I'm just gonna catch us up. We are in Luke chapter 19. We're gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read exactly where we've been and up to where we're gonna start this morning. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead. He climbs a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So we've been walking through this interaction, here's where we've stopped, and we're gonna continue this morning, but already we've seen a couple of things. We've seen that Jesus, and this is important, it sounds simple, but he stopped and he saw Zacchaeus. He stopped enough to see someone who needed to be seen. And our point was simply this, maybe there are people who Jesus has placed you nearby who need to be seen. And sometimes we just get so caught up in what we're doing and our agenda and our to-do list. There are people around us who need us, who you have been placed in proximity to, and we don't stop to see them. And so my question was simply this, do you know the names of your neighbors? Do you know their names? Are you stopping just to know them and meet them? And if you were like me and Jamie, we realized we don't know the names of all of our neighbors. And so we have a lot of work to do, even just to stop and see those around us. And then we saw Jesus do something that goes so against culture, so against even sometimes Christian culture, unfortunately, and he loves Zacchaeus first. He loves first, which is a big deal because Zacchaeus hasn't done anything. Zacchaeus is in a tree just kind of investigating Jesus, checking him out a little bit. He's still a tax collector, which we talked about the last couple of weeks. This was a horrible career to have because you were the most hated in the Jewish society. In fact, how they made money is they were hired by the government to collect taxes, but they would make their profits on raising those taxes, essentially stealing from their own people. So they were outcast, pushed aside, seen as hopeless, hated by the crowd. And so to avoid this crowd, to investigate Jesus, he climbs up a tree just to check him out. And then Jesus would point to him and say, Zacchaeus, while you're still a tax collector, while you're still a mess... While you're still labeled, while you haven't believed in me yet, while you haven't done anything to earn my love, I'm just going to love you. Come down, I'm coming to your house. And he loved first. And we talked about how this is so important because, too often, let's just be honest, the church has done a really bad job of this sometimes saying, I will love you if. I will love you if you just dress differently. I will love you if you just get this part of your life cleaned up. I will love you if you just really get this right. And then you're totally welcome. We say welcome, but not totally yet. And we say, I love you if. And Jesus says, not so with you, Christian. You love first. You love if it's not earned. You love if they still have mess. You love if they don't believe, guess what? They can still belong. And this was the heartbeat of Jesus, to love first. So then my challenge last week was, with your neighbors, just love first. Those who are different, those who are annoying, those who talk too much, those who play their music too loud, those who smoke something a little weird, just go love them before they've done anything to earn it. And if we could do a simple act of love, that will begin to help us to truly love where we live. But now I wanna set the scene of them going to Zacchaeus' house. And I want us to look through this a little bit different. We've seen this through the lens of Jesus and Zacchaeus, but what about the disciples that were with them? The disciples as they're stopping on the road and talking with this guy, and Jesus makes an announcement that with a shock to the disciples too, of, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And they're going, no, no we're not, we're going to Jerusalem. Like, this isn't on our roadmap, this isn't on our plan. Jesus, do you know what's going on in Jerusalem? Jesus, they wouldn't have even really known this, but let's just add some creative things in here. We would, they would have said, Jesus, do you know that in Jerusalem is where we're gonna spend our final days? Jerusalem is where your mission of the church is going to start. Jerusalem is where you will eventually die, raise again, and redeem the world in just a few days. Jerusalem is where we're headed, and you're stopping for this guy? And not only are you stopping for this guy, but we've had a long road. We've been traveling. We have stuff to do. Where are we going to sleep tonight? How is this going to work that we're going to pause everything for this guy? This one guy. And there's a crowd. Jesus, all of these people are here to see you. Some of these people are religious people. They give a lot of money. We should go talk to them. Some of these people are people who have done all the right things. They've been really nice to us. Some of these people we love, we've heard about them. We've talked to like, like these are the people that we need to go hang out with and you're stopping for this guy? And then they would have said, Jesus, the crowds, do you you hear them whispering? We're not supposed to be with this guy. And in fact, we said this a couple weeks ago, but the religious tradition had even put up rules against the kind of people you could go to their house. And Zacchaeus was one of those not on the list. That if you were around someone like this who was greedy out for themselves, you could get some kind of sin, disease. I'm not sure what they thought, but they just thought if you are around this person, you're connected to them and, and you can't be connected to them. And so the disciples walking to Zacchaeus' house behind Zacchaeus and Jesus, whispering to each other, what are we doing? And this isn't on the plan, this isn't what we should do, I'm kind of worried what they're gonna think or they're gonna say or, or what's about to happen. And then as they get to the house, what they see in front of them is less like a house and more like a complex. What we know about Zacchaeus is that he was incredibly rich and so he would have had a lavish mansion and they would have looked at this and seen the garden and the landscaping and the servants taking care of everything and they would have thought, okay, here's why Jesus is coming. Jesus is about to tell Zacchaeus why all of this is too much. All of this is wrong. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take it in. Jesus is going to tour the house, see the gardens, and then really confront Zacchaeus. Because there was one guy who wanted to follow after Jesus. And he said, what should I do? And he said, you've actually got to sell some of these things to the poor because they're getting in the way. So maybe that's what's about to happen. He's going to just get Zacchaeus in a big trap and show him that all of this is wrong and evil. And so, okay, that's, that's what we're doing. We can get on board with that. And then they step into the hall and it's massive. It's unlike anything they've ever seen. Servants taking care of them left and right. They're being treated like kings and Zacchaeus is just showing off all of his house, walking them through all that he owns. And the disciples are going, yeah, just get ready. This is it. Jesus is just going to store it all up and he's just going to show Zacchaeus all this is wrong because we paid for this house. This is our taxes that he stole from us. None of this, all of this lavish stuff, this couldn't be purchased by moral grounds. This had to be this had to be stealing from us. And so he, that's what he's going to do. He's going to take in all of this info and just put Zacchaeus on blast. We can't wait. And so Zacchaeus says, "How about you join me for dinner?" And they sit down at the table. And course, after course, after course of food and wine are brought out more than they have probably ever seen. And they're going we can't partake of this. Like this is all kind of greedy money that purchased this. What are we sh- supposed to do here? And let's watch Jesus. And I bet they're whispering to each other, Peter especially, because as fish after fish after fish was brought out. He was a fisherman. He would know how expensive this was. And so they're all kind of uncomfortably looking at each other. What's Jesus gonna do? Surely Jesus will say this, I shall not eat of this. And then tell Zacchaeus now what's going wrong. But Jesus is doing nothing. In fact, he's comfortable. He's the only one at the table who seems to be enjoying himself. And he's eating and he's drinking and he's hanging out with Zacchaeus. And so they begin to eat and drink and take in too, but they're still uncomfortable. And they're just thinking, especially probably Judas, he's going, Jesus has gotten so weird lately. Some of the stuff he's been doing is just not what I expected. This this is not what we're supposed to be doing on the road to Jerusalem. What's about to happen? Surely he has a plan. And then catch this, next verse, Luke nineteen eight. I promise I didn't skip over anything. He says this, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. What? The disciples would have said, hold on. How did that happen? We have been here and Jesus has done nothing. In fact, that's the only part of the story where Jesus literally does nothing. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't do anything besides enjoy himself, laugh, smile, and hang out with Zacchaeus. And yet Zacchaeus is so caught off guard. It's that that changed everything for Zacchaeus. It was in that moment that Zacchaeus, as he's sitting there and just Jesus is not shaming him. He's not assuming anything. He's just sitting with him. It's in that moment that Zacchaeus would have said, hold on, I can't go back to the the way I was. Because I now know this, I can't go back to being isolated. I can't go back to pushing people away. Now that I know true friendship, I can't just be out for myself anymore. Today and now, something in me has to change. Because what I have seen, the love I have been shown, that is changing me from the inside out. We would have been surprised too. Because many of the things that we think will lead to change don't actually lead to change. Many of the things our culture says will lead to change doesn't actually lead to change. Some of the things the church thinks leads to change don't actually lead to change. And I think a lot of us, if we were to be honest, we have a desire to see our world changed. And that's a good thing. We see brokenness, we see people hurting. We know that, especially as Christ followers, we have been called to be the difference makers, the light in this world. The problem is some of the ways we go about trying to navigate that change isn't what Jesus would have done. And so I wanna give us a couple things that don't lead to change that sometimes we have a tendency to do first. Here's the first one, shame doesn't lead to change. Shame doesn't lead to change. What Jesus didn't do in this moment was walk through the house of Zacchaeus and say, yeah, you see all this? See where this money could have gone? Uh, Zacchaeus, I don't know, do you really need this tiger over here? Like, I don't know if that's really necessary. Probably could have used that for charity. We tend to think sometimes that if we can call out the wrongness in people, that that's what will help them change. And we do this sometimes without love, without care, without sensitivity, without a relationship. And so instead we just blast people on Facebook. We verbally abuse people groups that we don't know on Facebook. And we get in arguments on Facebook and we think, okay, if I just shame them into changing, then that's going to be how real change is made. And come on, that's just true because didn't you make the biggest life decision ever because of a jerk on Facebook? (laughs) It's not how we work. It didn't happen with you. It doesn't happen with the brokenness in our world. Shame doesn't change anyone. In fact, here's what shame does. Shame does a few things in the opposite direction. Shame will isolate people. Shame will begin to tell people over and over again that they are worthless. They have no value. They're a mistake. And then when you heap more shame onto that group of people, it pushes them farther into isolation where they are not going to listen to you, especially not you, because you're no longer a safe person. and It isolates. Shame divides. Shame will draw a line in the sand and say, here's where you stand, here's where I stand, and you are wrong if you're on that side of the line, and shame shuts down conversation. And then here's the heartbreaking thing about shame. Shame just hurts. Shame hurts people. Instead of trying to discuss and figure out and look to the hope and the best in someone else, shame just says, you are wrong. And shame begins to lead people into a deeper shame spiral, a deeper shame narrative, and shame hurts. And you know because you felt it. You've had someone look at you and pick out something about you and shame you for that thing. And because of that, it hurts. It does not love. And the crazy thing is, even the Christ followers would do this because if you look at the life of Jesus, he never shames. He never shames. He always loved with the kind of love that he's giving Zacchaeus. Again, he didn't walk in and go, Zacchaeus, we need to change all of this. You're doing this wrong. You know what he didn't do? He didn't take a picture of the mansion, post it on Facebook and say, can you believe this tax collector? Look at what he's doing. Let's rally together to yell at him. That's not how Jesus loves. It was never shame because he knew that shame doesn't create change. The other thing that doesn't create change is assuming. Assuming doesn't lead to change. And I would say a popular phrase about what assuming does to us, but instead, let me just say this. I think that assuming has become one of the greatest plagues of our culture. I think especially in the last couple of years, this idea that instead of listening to someone, instead of knowing someone, instead of taking the time to get to know someone, we just stereotype and demonize. We assume that we know, we make up something because we've just heard it once, and so we just think that's what it's like to be black, white, Asian, Latino, woman. That's like, we just categorize. And we assume that we know, because here's what happens. We all have a life experience. We we all grew up somewhere in some way with some kind of relationships and those have built us into who we are. It has built the lens into how we see the world and that's not our fault, that just happens. The problem is when you start to translate other people through that lens and you start to look at someone else through how you see the world, and if they don't see it that way, and if they don't share your opinion, well, then they're just wrong because they couldn't see it different than you. Because everyone has a life experience. Everyone has different relationships. Everyone has a different way they grew up. And so what if maybe, just maybe, they see things differently than you and it's not necessarily wrong. Maybe it's just different. And maybe if you were to take the time and actually hear their story and see their lens, then you could possibly grow too. When we assume it stops change, it prevents it. It creates an us, them mentality. It's arrogant. And then it prevents our own growth. When we assume that there is nothing I need to learn from you, we are in this place where we can't grow, we can't develop, and maybe through a relationship with someone different, God also wants to change you. But if we keep assuming, we will stay in that spot. And here's the deal about Zacchaeus they all were assuming about Zacchaeus. The crowd, the disciples, they thought they knew him. They thought because of his career, because of his decisions in the past, because of some of his lifestyle and where he lived, they knew everything they needed to know about Zacchaeus. He was greedy. He was out for himself. He is evil. He's an outcast. He is a lost hope. They thought they knew Zacchaeus. And the reason the story changed is because Jesus didn't assume about Zacchaeus. He took the step to know Zacchaeus. And what if we would take the step to know those around us instead of just assume? And here's the truth, right? You've probably had someone assume something about you. You've probably at some point had someone assume something about you that you didn't like. I get this all the time because early on in the conversation, here's my least favorite question. What do you do? And the reason I hate that, I love being a pastor, but I hate answering the question, what do you do? Because early on in the conversation, no matter how great it's going, no matter how much we were connecting, when I say pastor, the room shifts. The energy changes and all of a sudden with one word, they unload assumptions onto me. And they'll start to apologize for how long it's been since they've come to church. (laughs) And they'll start to go, ooh, earlier I said a cuss word around you, is that okay? And then they heap on me all of their past religious experiences. And they assume things about me because of what they've heard from another pastor or had another pastor do to them. They begin to bring me their questions, the theological questions, now even their whole idea of Jesus I'm having to wrestle through. And I just feel like we all feel a little uncomfortable when people assume. Because instead of removing what they think they know and knowing us. They put a filter in the way. And it's so easy to see when people do this to us. But aren't we doing it all the time too? Like who are the people around us that if we were to be honest we think we know a lot about. We think we have them all summed up. We think we know why they did that and why they live the way they do but we don't actually know them at all. And what Jesus would say is assuming it never leads to change. So if those don't lead to change, what does? What's the difference maker? What happened in the life of Zacchaeus that could happen if we begin to love like Jesus loved? Here's what leads to change. Personal relationships lead to change. Personal relationships. This is what happened with Zacchaeus. He was seen, he was sought after, he was loved in spite of what he was doing that he knew Jesus might disagree with, Jesus just hung out with him. Jesus took the time to get to know him. Jesus went over to his house and ate his food and sat and laughed and talked. And because of that, Zacchaeus would go, wait, this is different. I can't be the same. There is something about a personal relationship that changes everything. Jesus isn't assuming things about me like the crowd was. Jesus isn't judging me and shaming me like the crowd has. Jesus just loves me and he wants a relationship. Relationship with me. It changes everything. And I just think that in this moment, Zacchaeus believed in Jesus because Jesus first believed in him. And for us, maybe there are some people who just need us to believe in them, who just need us to be willing to go the extra mile and get to know them. Relationships are not built on shame. They believe the best first. They say, let's do this together. They don't say, get your stuff together and then we'll do this. They say, together, let's walk through this. And they aren't built on assumptions. They don't assume they know anyone. Personal relationships take the time to listen, take the time to learn, take the time to realize that maybe there's something I can grow in out of this relationship, even though you're different than me. Personal relationships aren't built on shame or assumption. So if we want to make a difference in this world, it looks like stopping our assumptions. Mm -hmm. It looks like stopping shame. And what if we decide to just stop assuming? In fact, what if we decided that those who are most different were the ones we want to learn the most from? What if, I've been doing this lately because a little trick I learned that's just been so cool and helped me a ton in this. What if when you think I can't, or I don't understand why someone would do blank. When that thought comes into your mind, I don't understand why anyone would do blank. What if we stopped there, saw it as a red flag and then added to it? I don't understand why someone would do blank. So I wanna go learn more about that. And just by adding that, you realize, listen, I'm assuming a lot here, I'm right, I don't understand why someone would do that, but there is a lens they see the world through, there is a reason why they have those opinions, there is a reason why they have those feelings, and so I'm going to go the extra mile to learn more about that thing. Because here's the other thing assuming does is sometimes we don't realize. When we assume something about someone and we don't listen and get to know their opinions, we are telling them that their worldview is worthless. We are telling them that their experiences and their opinions and their values don't matter. And Jesus would say, you want change? Set aside the shame. Set aside the assumptions. There's one guy at this table that would have been seeing this through a little bit different lens than the other disciples. And it's Matthew. Matthew as the rest were probably uncomfortable and looking around and not understanding fully what's taking place, I feel like Matthew would have been sitting there with a little bit of emotion. He might have even had a tear in his eye because he's looking around the table and seeing what's happening. Matthew knew exactly what Jesus was doing because Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was in the seat of Zacchaeus. Matthew had run the job, had worked his way up the ladder, had the house, had the career. Matthew had made the mistakes that Zacchaeus had made. He had stolen from his own people and made profit off of it. Matthew was hated. Matthew was outcast. Matthew was unloved. And then Jesus shows up into Matthew's story. And the difference maker for Matthew was that Jesus didn't shun him aside. He didn't lapse more shame on him. He didn't assume that he knew who Matthew was, that he was a lost cause out for himself. Surely he could never be one of my disciples, one of my Jesus followers. No, he comes up to Matthew and while he was collecting taxes, he says, follow me. While Matthew was in his mess, he says, I want you and you belong. And he brought Matthew in And I just see Matthew sitting at the table, everyone else uncomfortable, but he's watching Jesus smile. And he's watching what's going on in the heart of Zacchaeus because he recognizes it happened in him, where a personal relationship is beginning to change everything. It did for Matthew. And he knew it was about to for Zacchaeus. And if there was ever a point where Matthew had doubted whether or not he was forgiven or loved, this would have just confirmed it. That Jesus is different. Jesus' love doesn't make assumptions about somebody else. Jesus' love doesn't shame someone else. It just wants someone else. And so each week we've added this challenge of what does it look like to love where we live and I've thrown up this house matrix about essentially the five people around you. And some will have to take creative license but you get it, there's about five. And we've just added on some small challenges so far. Know their names, engage in love. This one gets a little bit more difficult. For this week, what if you actually took a relational step and began to know one of these people? Maybe that means you have them over for dinner. Maybe that means you invite them to something that you're attending. Maybe this means that you go out of your way to have a conversation with them. If you're really risky, do this with someone very different than you. Do this with the person you disagree with the most. Do this with the one that you say, I just can't understand why and go find out why. And take a relational step with someone that Jesus has placed you nearby. Here's what I want to say to close if you don't want to change, and if you don't want your community to change, don't do this step. Don't do it. Because a personal relationship with someone different than you changes a lot. If you're serious about this and you begin to have a relationship with someone who sees the world differently, who believes differently, who has a different political, political ideology, someone who is different than you, if you are serious about building a personal relationship with someone different, it will begin to change you and it will begin to change them and it will begin to change the world. And so if you don't wanna see that happen, do not take this step because this is perhaps the most dangerous step of the series. But if that's you, then let's do this. And let's believe that no one is too far gone, that no one is out of hope, but that Jesus wants a relationship with them. Let's pray. God, I thank you for how you love us like Zacchaeus. How regardless of our mess, regardless of our mistakes and our past and our lost identity, you continue to pursue us. You continue to love us. That you never give up on us. God, I thank you that you have given us that kind of love. God, would you help us extend that to our neighbors? Our neighbors that right now, if we're honest, we can't imagine loving? Our neighbors that right now we've already gotten in disagreements with, in arguments with, in fights with? God, would this week you change some of that? Would this week, you help us to learn what it really looks like to love like you've loved. And God, as we set aside our assumptions and love like you did, God, I pray you would do something powerful in our neighborhoods, powerful in our city, powerful in our world. God, it's your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family, maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, Would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of CenterPoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.